In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back again to the True Life Podcast. I hope that everybody's having a beautiful day. I hope that you are surrounded by people you love and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and you have something to look forward to. Got a great show for you today. We have uh, someone who is that I find on a on a on a level that speaks to me. We started talking about this idea of moksha medicine. But before I get ahead of myself, let me introduce Prema Sagara clinical director of the neuro wellness team at Moksha Journeys. You know, and maybe you could talk a little bit about, Prema, m- before we talk about Moksha Journeys, maybe you could introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your journey before we talk about the Moksha Journeys. Sure. Yeah, that's a great starting point. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. So my journey, how, I, how, how did I come to do what I do? <laughs> We go all the way back from the beginning. Um, you know, my so I, I'd like to start with my my real origin story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which begins with you know the, my ancestors, my my mother and her parents. Um, you know, it, I I I like to put the lens on my mother because um, you know it that is really kind of like my superhero origin story. Um, you know, my, my mother is indigenous Central American and, you know, her family came to the U.S. in the 40s and um, they, they became migrant workers in California. And at the time, in the 40s and 50s, it was common practice for the migrant workers to get crop dusted mm. while they were working in the fields. So they'd be picking fruits and vegetables and the planes would come. And um, my mom describes the scene, you know, in a certain way. At the time she was living, the the Air Force allowed them to live at these um, barracks that were not in use, that were part of the base, uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base. Mm, okay. And 
So they would sleep there and then work in the fields in the surrounding areas. And she describes how many of the women in the community became sterile and um, both uh, men and women were becoming, uh, were developing rapid onset of um, fatal types of cancer, especially neurological cancer. Mm. And so um, she was sterilized and later on she ended up moving a little bit south to Los Angeles, which was in the late six, mid to late 60s. And she got into the health scene, the burgeoning health scene that was happening. So she worked with a number of different practitioners. She got into, she was back then they were doing uh, saunas with niacin flushes mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, early diet or early, you know, diet explorations. Um, so she, she actually used to listen to a radio show with this particular uh, gentleman named Dr. Robert Marshall. And uh, many decades later, at least 40 years later, mm. I would end up studying with Dr. Robert Marshall. Um, he was a, a PhD of biochemistry and a, a clinical nutritionist. And he was a huge influence on me because my parents, you know, that wow. I was exposed to his work early on and, and used some of his products as a child. So, so, but the, the real turning point came from my mom when she got into um, working with Dr. Stig Erlander, who I think was in um, Arcadia or um, somewhere around that area in the greater LA area. And he put, he put her and my father on this particular protocol which was basically to improve methylation in the body. Mm. And, uh, you know, so it was a detoxification protocol and they had to eliminate all toxins from their living environment, which at the, you know, the, Dr. Erlander was a real pioneer. Um, you know, methylation has become a huge topic in functional medicine these days. Um, but he had some different methods, you know, definitely his detox ideas were on point. Um, and then he was trying to methylate the body using food. So he was especially focusing on carrots mm -hmm. um, because you, I don't know what your background is in, with, with nutrition, but you know, carrots and beets are both root vegetables that are really high in methyl groups. And methyl groups basically are what keep our cells young and keep our DNA from aging. So they were eating a lot of steamed carrots and his advice was always to drink the steam water as well mm. and um you know so they would eliminate things like um so th this is really getting into my childhood you know this yeah. is i rarely talk about this with anyone um you know because i don't get this deep into my origin story normally <laughs> um but it's in, it's really part of my passion and shape yeah you know, my path um so they would eliminate all um hydrocarbon-based toxins, especially. So like no VOC paint and um, not using central forced air heat that didn't, you know, cause back then the gas was burning and the system would just push air and you would get the, um, the byproducts in the living environment. Now they have closed systems that aren't as toxic, but um, you know, back for many decades, people are breathing in um, you know, hydrocarbon 
<laughs> metabolites basically that um, age the body and are access to act as toxins that demethylate our genes and not only accelerate aging, but they can induce pathologies. Mm. Um, so you get rid of all the airborne toxins, you get rid of all the toxic cleaners, toxic body care, and you eat organic and pasture raised uh, products. You know, so we grew up getting these deliveries from a pasture raised company. Yeah. Um, that back in, I was, <laughs> we were doing this, they were started in the 70s and 80s, you know, real, it was pioneering stuff. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that my mom started doing that protocol, I think, probably in the mid 70s. And, and then, um, you know, that, not too long after that i was born she had but she had you know been trying for many 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 years so it was a great victory um but you know it, it wasn't perfect i was born with a congenital defect of the left ureter where it attached to the kidney and so mm. urine couldn't pass out through that side so the all the metabolic waste was going back into the blood and ultimately compounding at the liver and causing acute autotoxicity. Um, and so as a, as an infant, I was extremely ill just from the get go. Um, and I, as far back as I can remember, I was going to the hospital. Um, you know, my parents didn't know what to do because I would vomit frequently every night for years, basically vomiting, unexplained vomiting. And so, you know, I had, I had every type of scan and Crazy. diagnostic done on me. Um, event, in time, I started getting more neurological symptoms. Um, and I, I described this, the primary symptom as a quote unquote, uh, brain bomb. <laughs> What's a, yeah. Break that down for us, man. What's a yeah, brain bomb? The brain bomb. <laughs> I think it's unique to me. <laughs> I've never heard anyone describe it. Um, but um, it was an intense nerve sensation that um, was happening in the back of my cranium and, you know, kind of like at that, um, that nest at the, at the crown. Mm -hmm. And, but it would go along the whole back of my neck and it would move, it would kind of move in a spiral motion when it would come on like a wave and it would mm. go towards the crown and kind of like, you know, um, implode on itself. So the wave would start more generalized and then converge at the crown. And it would feel like the nerves were all firing simultaneously in a wave pattern that would converge at the crown, starting around at my neck, um, and kind of like maybe upper shoulder, upper trapezius. So, um, yeah, that's the brain bomb. And it was, it was painful, but not like any other sensation I've ever experienced. Um, it, it's very, it was very kind of jarring and consuming, but it, it didn't feel like any other sensation. You know, I, I could mm -hmm. say it's painful, but it was mostly kind of like, um, disorienting, mm. um, but very, very visceral, you know, like, uh, yeah. in terms of the feeling like the, the sensation was coming from deep within. Yeah. So um not necessarily in the viscera but you know in the deeper tissues of the body and so so i would describe that complaint 
to the doctors and they did everything you can think of, including um, I went to uh, University of San Diego mm. and did a sleep study. Um, and then after that, they put a, um, a computer in a backpack with sensors and a cast over my head. And so I walked around living my life for a little while. And wow. Bio data. <laughs> um, and, you know, and in and out of emergency rooms and children's hospital mm. and, you know, local hospitals. And it was, it wasn't until I was six years old, um, probably almost six and a half, where I got to the point that my body actually was failing. And I remember that a particular doctor had told me, like, you know, you've gotten to a point where you, you, you know, we might consider doing, doing some type of surgery on you, but we, uh, well, actually I'm getting ahead of myself. What, what actually happened was I, I actually collapsed. Um, I was running a jogathon. Hmm. And I remember those. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> jogathon and I was, you know, trying to get that money. Yeah, of course, <laughs> man. You got all the people, all your neighbors signed up doing 50 60 yeah. cents for a lap i'm with you man right <laughs> <laughs> so i was really pushing it pushing <laughs> myself. Um, <laughs> and then um my body gave out on the track mm. and i so i lost consciousness and just fell to the ground and crumpled down and you know i i the next thing i remember is being in the hospital and that was the first time where i had lost consciousness like that um and so up to that point, I hadn't been diagnosed with anything. Um, you know, everyone was exploring and attempting to figure something out. And it wasn't until that point where they did a simple x-ray and just at a hospital I'd never been to. And they located the abnormality in the kidney. Mm -hmm. That entire time for six and a half years, they were looking in the central nervous system and in the brain. They were doing all the scans on the brain. And they didn't look anywhere else, <laughs> you know, which is kind of a stereotype of allopathy. Hmm. Right? <laughs> like what the, the, the term etiology, like what, how do you define that and how do you approach it? It's like in, in holistic systems, the root cause, you know, is often understood that it can be located in a different region separate from your symptomology. You know, that might not have an obvious correlation, but with a system, primarily five element systems that come from the East, but also in ancient Greek medicine, you know, there's the concepts of the three humors, which have a basis in the five elements or the four elements. And in those systems, they will understand, like in Chinese medicine, that the kidneys are very much associated with the central nervous system. So... You know, <laughs> anyways, that's kind of jumping ahead. <laughs> um, it's all right. It's foreshadowing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, we got a good sur uh, surgeon, a kidney specialist that works on children, and pretty rapidly, I, they did a angioplasty and they uh, cut open that ureter and put a silic silicone bladder in there, and it opened it up, and that definitely made a huge difference. Mm. It was extremely beneficial um it, it ended the brain bonds mm. so um i'm super i'm super grateful for that because i definitely felt like it saved my life um 
you know, I'm not sure what the outcome would have been otherwise, but it wasn't, you know, I couldn't sustain that. I think I would have gone downhill, you know, <laughs> over the years if that, if I didn't get that procedure. So, um, so that's great. However, there was, you know, that there's all these other aspects to it that were unaddressed, you know, the liver, my liver was in trouble and no one did anything for the liver. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all of those years of the, the metabolic waste going into the liver oh, yeah. that degraded the liver function significantly. And my digestive system was not good. Um, you know, I didn't have good digestion, assimilation, absorption. So by the time I got into my, you know, into puberty and the, with the increased nutritional needs that people have, the young, you know, developing right. youth have, you know, I, I wasn't, you already need more nutrition to develop in a healthy manner when you reach puberty. And most kids don't get an ideal nutritional support. Um, but, you know, you need new, your glands need support. You need minerals. You know, minerals are the core of, of hormone synthesis. And, you know, you, your body's growing and you need, you definitely need a lot of minerals and all kinds of other support. But, you know, but I think if parents out there just gave their children mineral supplementation, mm. you know, which is what I've, I advocate um, a lot for, um, it would make a huge difference. Um, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't digesting my food hardly. So I wasn't even getting any basic level of nutrition hardly. So, you know, in my teen years, I was really, I started, I developed severe depression. Hmm. And, um, you know, <laughs> just a lot of health issues. I mean, at one yeah. point I was having one bowel movement a week. Whoa, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, your that mom must have, your parents must have been having, but scared out of their minds. Like as you were growing up, they're like, what? They must have been like, what, what are we, what's going on, man? They are superheroes. I, amazing people just by being parents and going through all this and getting you the help. I'm sure that wasn't easy for them. Right. Right. No, I mean, <laughs> my, my parents, uh, I'm, I, I have good fortune. You know, they, they were so supportive all along and did whatever they could. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm blessed. I, I feel sorry. I, I sidetracked you there. I just wanted to, to, to give a shout out to them though. Cause they parents are awesome. They are. Yeah. They, <laughs> they were great parents. They, you know, my mom's still with us and she's yeah. an amazing lady. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I felt like, you know, my life was saved by this, the strengths of allopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who's done the dance with the with the hospital system mm -hmm. and standard allopathy and who has chronic disease, you know, many people get in that position, get to a point where you realize that there are not great solutions available in allopathic medicine, right? I mean, that I think people who are listening to this podcast probably that's a given, like they mm -hmm. get that, you know. Um, so I got to a point where I was like, I have to take my health into my own hands. I feel like, and so I began pursuing healing traditions, but it, all of, you know, I would say that it was in my mid teens where I really started getting interested in enlightenment traditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it was, it was out of that, you know, interest and, and self-study where, you know, I, it started branching into 
more holistic ways of living, you know, they are part and parcel with those traditions, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, it, and that's kind of like how I got to psilocybin in that time period. Um, that and that's that's the beginning of like the how how my paths led me to moksha moksha journeys. Um, so, let's see. How do we want to how do we want to synthesize that? Well, well, that's a beautiful. Maybe we'll just take a moment to think about that path and and how it seems to me in. in it seems to me whether we return to Joseph Campbell or we return to the Greek tragedies that in all people's lives, there's almost like this mythological structure that happens. And it's like you, you, you've come up and you face this threshold guardian and you're cast back down. And whether it's an actual guardian or it's a giant owl named Moloch or whether it's a disease that attacks you where you can't do anything about it. I think it's, I always admire people telling me, their origin story because i think it speaks volumes of i think people can see in their own life their own battles they're fighting so i, I just want to say thank you for sharing that and then you know i think from from moving on from that journey and then you started talking about some enlightenment types of ideas that you began to explore maybe before you get into the ideas of moksha journeys. Maybe like there's a there's another chapter of some of the other enlightenment things that you've explored. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that is really kind of the intermediate phase. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but but it it it's a it was around that time in my mid teens where, um, you know, when I I grew up Christian. Okay. You know, I I grew up Catholic initially, and then I got into. I started going to a, a Lutheran private school when I was 10 or yeah, uh, maybe I just turned 11 years old. And I was, I found the, the Lutheranism, the Protestantism, especially, um, you know, in that Lutheran form to be refreshing. You know, I didn't, I mean, I didn't, I hadn't been exposed to that before. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh wow. You can, I like the idea that we could have a more, simplified direct relationship with christ and um you know we, we could we could just like get out of some of the the aspects of the catholic church that mm. growing up i didn't really resonate with right right so um you know but that so that was like 11 years old i was like taking it pretty seriously i was like i gotta go study all this i'm gonna bring my parents to this church and we my whole family converted to lutheranism and um so for, you know, like four or five years, I thought that was really interesting. But then I started really getting interested in Eastern spiritual mm -hmm. religions. And, and so I, 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 I recall probably being 16 years old and having read, you know, um, I had acquired like a collection of Buddhist sutras, like the Diamond Sutra and the Heart Sutra, um, the Thousand Songs of Milarepa. And I had visited a, a Hindu tantric temple in our area, in the hills, and thought that was incredible. You know, they had like a toy pond and a library and this beautiful monastery, um, very peaceful. And, you know, so my, my, the gears were going, right? They were starting to turn. I was like, hmm, there's something here for me. And, and within a couple of years, probably a year and a half, I had gone to Borders Books, 
remember I was I had gone to Borders. Yeah, you remember? Yeah, Borders was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> um, love browsing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on one of the tables, um, you know, on the display tables, they had this little display, and it was like this stack of books, this one title that had on the cover really psychedelic art. It was like black light art. Um, and there was, you know, psychedelia on it. And it was a collection of stories on all of the counterculture icons of the 60s and 70s. So it was recounting kind of like the, the how, you know, Gordon Wasson went mm. to Mexico. And it was recounting when he brought Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert and what was happening. It was a lot of like quotations and, you know, dialogue and like real kind of, it, they pieced together a lot of different sources and made it pretty coherent. And it was like this incredible narrative. And I, I tried to find that book. I don't have it anymore and I can't find the title, but it was really a cool book. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did that speak like being where your heritage is from, from like your family coming from central Mexico? Was that like another factor that was like, Whoa, this is, this is my roots right here as well. Was that, <laughs> was that a factor? Yeah, I think, you know, for sure. Because, you know, also at the time there was, I had watched Altered States. Movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like all of it was very magnetic, right? There was in the movies they go to Mexico, right? And in yeah. the book I'm reading, and I I like could feel the connection to the volcano where they <laughs> went to get the mushroom off the mountainside, right? <laughs> and for sure that was like I remember being entranced by the idea of wildcrafting a mushroom on the side of a mountain in Mexico, you know. And and for sure it was speaking to me yeah. at some type of morphogenetic, you know, genetic level. <laughs> yeah. Ancestral memory level. Um and 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 then, you know, a couple of years after that, I I was really deep into the the health scene in California. You know, I, I had um gotten into these communities where people were um experimenting with um plant-based diets at the time and um, it was a real kind of exciting time where people were talking about the Essenes and, um, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely feel that there, even after all my studies in all of the trends and all of the science and the, the place of all the different types of diets, quote unquote, um, you know, the plant-based diet has a function and a purpose and a time and a place. And, um, you know, I, I, at that time we were like, wow. We're discovering something it felt like we were discovering something like um you know expe definitely experimenting with psychedelics and trying to live off living foods um and and so i got together with these guys and one of them was named gonzalo and one of them was named eddie and they were both mexican and they they owned these shops that had like all these kind of psychedelic references and they were a big influence on me they kind of got they were giving me books on plant-based diets and um, you know, like one of their shops had these like mush neon mushroom art signs. <laughs> and um, they, and it turns out that Gonzalo actually used owns property in that area and um, actually knew Maria Sabina and used to go down no there. Way. Um, well, he still goes down there, but he, he had a connection to her back then. And he's, a, you know, he's a, an original yeah. player. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
a cuandero. Is there something like that? Am I butchering that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, so what am I missing? You know, that it was a really pivotal time, um, mid to late teens. And I, you know, in, in that period, I, of course, I also, I, I debated whether or not I would confess this, but I have to say that one of my early influences, it was really pivotal as well, was um, both Alex Gray and his work with the band Tool, which I don't really confess to too many people these days. <laughs> but it was huge for me because, you know, I I bought um, the Tool's album, Lateralis, when I was 15 years old, and the album art was incredible, right? And it was, it was their first collaboration with Alex Gray. And, you know, the, the layered album sleeve that had all the anatomical layers of man and then the spiritual layers and the sp spiral eyes and the way you leaf through it and you, you would, you know, all the layers would add up at the end to make this incredible mandala of like a divine prototype of man mm -hmm. um, with, you know, just incredible psychedelic symbolism. And I was like, man, there's some... I became obsessed with Alex Gray's work at that time. You know, I, I was like just getting online, you know, in the nascent days of the internet and yeah. trying to find images, his, his, you know, the scans of his art. And I read everything that I could about Alex Gray and was always like just contemplating his paintings and, and his, everything about it, you know, his live art. Um, you know, I thought his early live art installations were just mind blowing, especially like the Om Mani Padme Hum installation was phenomenal. Um, so that, you know, that was 15. And then, um, you know, that, that, that was such a huge influence. And I bought that book that I described. And then the next month I went to the last tool concert of their Lateralis tour and the, the stage show that they had on that tour was, it was all Alex Gray. And he actually went on tour with them and no painted main, the singer Maynard, the singer's body. I think every night where he would paint the, the flaming eye in a spiral pattern on each limb and up, up his spine and two layers going on the sides of his head down to his forehead, this, these flaming eyes just all over down his legs to his feet and then his the rest of his body was painted black and then he would get illuminated with a black light and then i got i'm gonna i'm gonna digress a little and describe yeah, go this. for it, man this is awesome <laughs> okay um so you know i was 16 and i went to this show with my brother and it was at the long beach arena and um wow i mean the on the backdrop you know the huge screen on the back um they were projecting different pieces of alex gray um of his paintings and so there was a number of different paintings that are all very iconic like that feature his eye patterns um the net patterns but they were shifting in colors that are not standard so like each color would become a different color it was incredibly psychedelic and it had a whole like living breathing pattern to it um and then as the show progressed, they kept adding more elements. So they, ha they have their kind of iconic standard sacred geometry um, metal sculpture that they suspend from the rafters. So that now then that drops down in front of Alex Gray's artwork. And then 
And then they have these big balloon sculptures that were like supposed to be cells, conglo like conglomerations of cells that they were floating in the air with um, some type of fan. And so these giant like cellular masses were like floating all around. And then they added um, these kind of, I don't know if they were screens or, or tapestries, but then in front of everything, they, they put his sacred mirror series at the end. And, you know, this whole time Maynard is like fully dressed at the beginning and he's stripping down more and more to the point where he's, you know, just wearing a speedo and he's basically like, you know, this spiral black art living sculpture. And he's on a platform that has um, the golden mean ratio spiral drawn on it. And then that platform is spinning in a circle while he's standing on it. And, and, you know, that lines up with the lyrics and some of the songs, um, which are, you know, if you dig deep into his work, you understand that he went through a phase, I think probably in the eighties, went around his time in art school where he ate mescaline, I believe, peyote. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this, these poems, a series of poems. And though all those poems went into the songs of that album. Um, which came out like 20 years later. And so, you know, the, some of the lyrics are, they were such, his lyrics were such an inspiration to me at that time. Um, very spiritually awakening for me. Um, and, and, you know, it's a little no, lesser known fact that their drummer uh, is in a Western mystery tradition. And so at that time, I got really interested in the drummer and because some of the drummer's friends were documenting online their journey to Rennes-le-Château and to like the south of France where Mary Magdalene went mm. when she was cast out. And so, um, you know, that that was hugely influential on me. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it was that it was all converging, right? I that that show after i went to that show and in the middle of the show they take an inter interlude and they play a clip from one of their older albums and it's well it's i mean it's a song that incorporates this long clip of timothy leary talking and you know the the main uh, slogan is think for yourself question authority and you know he starts giving a discourse on that and um Gosh, I remember that standing there in the crowd and listening to him talk. And I've, I'd heard that clip many times, but when you're there with all the art and all the energy and it was like, boom. And I was like, I've been reading this book and now I've made the decision. I'm going to have my first psilocybin journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. You've just created like a generation of new tool fans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's such an awesome. I didn't know any of that. Like, I didn't know his background. I didn't know those things about him. And I'm gonna, as soon as we're done, I'm gonna go look up on YouTube and see if I can find the video of him painted like that, sitting in like the golden ratio. That sounds amazing. I can't imagine seeing that at the stage you were in your life and how influential that would have been. Yeah, yeah, right on. No, no, you're feeling me. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm picking up what you're putting down, brother. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find it, I know you can find it on like that particular show, Long Beach 2002 Lateralis tour, because that was the last show of the tour. And it was like, you know, the grand send off. Um, 
so there's a good video out there of that but um <laughs> i feel like i digressed a bit there oh um, necessary that was totally necessary <laughs> man yeah yeah it, it like i think you're getting that like I, it was a, i feel like it was a long time ago and it's important you know it was formative and and really felt helped to inform my trajectory um so yeah so where, where do we go from there wow i mean so let me just think for me i gotta di digest that a little bit because i'm thinking of the pivotal times in which i've had in my life where i got to see and music has always been a part of them for me I got to go, I graduated in the early 90s and my friend and I, we drove my Volkswagen bus up to Autumn Stadium up there in Oregon in Eugene. We went to go see a dead show and I'll never forget like it, man, we, we bought like a quarter pound of weed and drove my bus up the whole way, camping some forest. And I'll never forget like we, we got up there like a day early and I'm like, dude, are you, my friend Craig and I, I'm like, dude, Craig, man, are you sure this is the spot? There's like nobody here. And we crashed out that night and I woke up in the morning and there was just buses on all sides of me. I was like, whoa, this is so nuts. <laughs> you know, but for me, like I, I understand the, the power that a good, not only good music, but a psychedelic setting in almost, it's almost an art form. It's almost like you're part of a painting, like you're part of this piece of artwork and you're working through it. You're like, I'm in this piece of artwork right here. And it gives you this weird way of seeing yourself in a third person point of view while simultaneously taking everything in around you. And it's, it's, it's dramatic and it's poetic and it's, it's William Blake and Aristotle all combined into one. Wow. You're right there, right? <laughs> I, feel you. I, I really feel it. Wow. You're doing a great job. Well, thanks, man. I mean, you're inspiring me with this kind of stuff. It's, well, it's I mean, your experience too. You know, you're talking about that time in Eugene. I mean, gosh. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, I'll never forget because we, you know, I had just, it was, it was almost one of the beginnings of my psychedelic experience. Cause I had taken, I had begun taking mushrooms and going to like the laser door to show or the laser Floyd show where you sit down in like a, like a laserium and, they would project these 3d images of like pink Floyd's dark side of the moon. And so that was the beginning. And then we were, we went on this trip up there and that was one of the first times my friend and I had bought LSD for the first time. And, you know, it, it was just, it was just mind blowing to be in this other world where you're surrounded by all these people and you're driving your Volkswagen bus and there's this really hot hippie girl next to you selling mdma and i'm pretty sure she's she's talking to me because i'm just she's saying my name and telling me to come over there and i'm i'm like my friend's like she's not talking to you i'm like yeah she is man. Can you, see? <laughs> you know but it's, it's i don't know i think there's something to be said about youth and exploration and heightened states of awareness that you really mesh into when you're at a pivotal age and it those kinds of experiences will fundamentally change you for the rest of your life it changes your trajectory and it's almost like you have to make a decision. Like you have to invite that into you so that it can flow through you and change your course of direction. And that's what I, when you were talking about that, I was like, I was so enamored by your story and it just filled me up with memories of my own story. So thank you for letting me share that, man. That was, I that was, felt great, man. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, so, okay. So from there, you know, 
I began reading some interesting books as well, you know, and I, I started finding myself going down these, these mystic traditions and mystery schools. And you start thinking of the doors of perception with Huxley and, and you're like, wow, man, this guy wrote brave new world, man. This guy's, this guy's out of his mind, man. You know what he wants? He wants to create this world. And, you know, like you start going down these rabbit holes. And then as I got older, I found the book, The Island, which in this book, The Island, it's it's almost the antidote to Brave New World. It's like, one is this dystopia and one is this utopia over here. And that book for me was, it was eye-opening because you got to see the way in which the moksha medicine, you got to see the way in which a really well-dosed society with a real strong connection to mysticism and community can find these medicines and use them as a sort of rite of passage. You know, when we get back to the mystery schools, when you see the kids climbing up the mountain to sit in the church and sit with the older child, like, you know, that kind of stuff spoke to me. And it's probably because I have had an absence. And I think the most people in the Western traditions yeah. have an absence of rites of passage. There's no more, there's a keen, there's echoes of a quinceanera, there's echoes of a bar mitzvah, but there's not really that tradition for young men to go through. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what it was, with, whether it's your experience watching Tool or my experience going to a dead show. It's almost this rite of passage that we found our own way. We found our own people. So I, I guess we could, we, when we start thinking about books and Huxley and, and William Blake and all these rites of passage, I begun thinking of Huxley, which got me into moksha medicine. So that was my destination to moksha medicine. Hmm. What, what was your introduction to moksha medicine? Well, I think, you know, the reason that we were going to call our company Moksha Medicine originally, um, mm -hmm. well, at one point, I should say, um, and that was actually chosen by my co-founder, uh, Rose, Rose Mulan Franco. And I think, you know, you should consider having her on for an interview. As I would well. Open invitation, Rose. I would love to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, and and she, she's the one that really chose that name moksha medicine, you know, because she, I, you know, I, I felt like I want to give a little bit of a quick yeah, give intro to Rose, you know, yeah, that's, please. that's how moksha got into our name. Yes. Um, and so, because, okay. So Rose, I don't, I want her to tell her story. Okay. <laughs> but okay. I'll tell you briefly that um, she, she was around in the time of these counterculture icons. Right. And and so Huxley, you know, that these things were um, fresh and, and when she was a youth. And, um, you know, she, she's really influenced by Alan Watts as well. Oh, I love um, it. <laughs> heavily. You know, she, she considers Alan Watts to be her first teacher. Mm. Um, and so, so that happened, but, and she, she has some, I mean, her, You'll get her story, and it, it as I tell people, it is m my main shining inspiration of what I want to achieve in my life. Um, but <laughs> she actually is an army veteran. Uh, she was in the army during the Vietnam era, um, but she didn't fight in the war. But she did have trauma from her experience, severe trauma. And I'm gonna I'll hopefully let her tell yeah. that story, but. She was married to a, um, a Purple Heart uh, Bronze or Silver Star recipient 
um, who's a Vietnam War hero, and um, and he and he passed away due to complications from Agent Orange. Mm. So, so, <laughs> and she she has this whole trajectory of how you know she had these spiritually awakening her her initiations mm -hmm. when she was in her teens, mm -hmm. and then she got into the military, and then she got out of the military, <laughs> and. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, she, she, I mean, well, I shouldn't say ultimately, I mean, she um, became a, a licensed psychotherapist after the military, and she owned a trauma and addiction treatment center. Um, and so she did that in the Austin, Texas area. And uh, she owned that center for 15 years, during which time, I mean, she probably won't tell you this, but I'll tell you, you know, like she... I mean, she had amazing results. I mean, they had a whole team and they had amazing results with their clientele and she was doing unconventional things. Um, she, and so, um, what can I say? I mean, she, she, her first job out, out of school was um, working with vets, you know, helping them with, treat their PTSD with therapy. And so her stories are wild, I mean, some of the things that she's experienced with her work um, in that regard, but um, she was nominated. She she spoke at the at the Senate as a special ma subject matter expert on treating PTSD. Um, she was nominated as special counsel to the president um, for on that subject of treating PTSD. And so, you know, she's I know she, all of her stories. I mean. I, I try, I will, I'll try not to get too into it, but I will say that at one point she started realizing that um, in order to really get deep healing results, she had to go beyond what she had learned in school. And so she got into certain powerful spiritual traditions that started providing her tools that she could use in her healing practice with in her clinical psychotherapy, which was technically not legit, not legal, quote unquote, but nobody really, I mean, the clients didn't mind and, and nobody knew the difference except for those clients were getting better, getting better outcomes. And so um, at a certain point, she was like, she devoted herself completely to spiritual traditions and she got out of that clinical work. And ultimately she became a lineage holder traveling to Eastern Europe and traveling to the Himalayas and having legitimate empowerments from lineage teachers, giving her these traditions of healing and practice, Re legitimate enlightenment traditions that include entheogenic sacramental rituals. So I, I found her through synchronicity, um, you know, 10, was it 11 years ago, I had heard about her through my network of friends um, and we crossed paths a few times over the years just by chance. Um, and it wasn't until 2000 and end, end of 2017 where I actually felt like I needed to contact her directly and, and, and get into what she was doing. And I did that, you know, I emailed her and said, I feel called to, to work with you, to help you, to help your any projects you have, and I want to learn from you. And so, you know, that after some time of doing that, collaborating, all of this stuff started transpiring. You know, um, 
Den we were living in Colorado at the time, living and working in Colorado and Denver decriminalized um, psilocybin. And you know, everything, all of these dominoes started going off and we had already been working on this vision and this, this idea for a project. And so, um, you know, so when we went to name it, she was like, that, that was 100% her, like, let's call it Moksha Medicine. You know, it, and then she was thinking back to when she was a teenager. Um, and, and so we, we were going running with that, but then our legal counsel suggested maybe we not use the word medicine Mm. Um, because we do have a medical doctor on our team. We have mm. PhD in biochemistry on our team. We have numerous different uh, licensed psychotherapists. Um, but you know, for multiple reasons, we decided not to use the word medicine in our company name. So we went with Mocha Journeys. Um, but you know that she, Rose is really the one. You know to. I, I feel like I stole a little bit of her thunder telling you that story, <laughs> but um, you know, she's the one to talk to about moksha medicine for sure. I mean, I I can speak a little bit to Huxley and and um, you know the island, but she's the reason that that is in our name. Also, you know, even from the fact that we I practice in the traditions that she you know collected. Especially the Himalayan ones, where we, mm. uh, where that, so where the Sanskrit is uh, Sanskrit and Tamil. You know, we our practice is oriented around moksha as a you know a core component of our ethos. So you know, we didn't just pick moksha medicine because of Huxley alone. You know, there's layers to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it seems I would love to. I, I'll reach out to her after this. I I love to hear the the origin stories, and I'm thankful to get to hear yours. I think it would be amazing to get to her to hear hers as well. And I I, I hope she'll want to come on because I think it's important, especially now more than ever, to get people that have a lineage of healing to get their ideas and to get their stories on record. Because I I wish there were more of those resources for you and I to turn towards. So I think it's, it's responsible of people like us to try to make sure that those messages get out there. So yeah, please. I, I would, I would love to, to talk to her more and yeah. what, so were there other influences? I mean, it, it sounds to me like you were called to meet with this person and you began practicing these things. What, what sort of healing techniques were, were taught to you from the, from the Himalayas or from those traditions, or is there something you can talk about from those traditions that, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, a, a lot of this subject matter is kind of held in strict secrecy. And so um, there, there are many things that I won't talk about, but, <laughs> but I will say that like, you know, in 2009, I went to Southern Colorado to a remote town in the Rocky mountains at, the town's at 8,000 feet and you can walk out your yard into directly up several 14ers. Um, and I moved there to study full time in a tradition, well, you know, with a couple teachers who had affiliations with Himalayan traditions. So, um, you know, that's like growing up in Southern California and, and how I told you my origin story, you know, was leading me more and more towards 
the Indian enlightenment traditions. And, mm -hmm. and in 2009, I like took that big step. I was like, I, not only do I want to like go to classes in my area or like, you know, this local community, I like want to do something more serious. You know, I, I want to go deeper. And so I sought out some people and I went to Southern Colorado and these are one of the teachers there had lived for seven years in the lower Himalayas um, with a teacher who, um, you know, has written a lot of books who, you know, an, an Indian, I'll tell I mean, I'll tell you, you know, he was a, he's in the lineage, the Kriya Pranayama lineage that, that is commonly known as connected to Mahavatar Babaji. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that is well known through Paramahansa Yogananda. Um, but there are many other inroads to that tradition. You know, there are other teachers, other people, you know, like that family tree of practitioners. So I got into that and through that, you know, I became very interested in the Indic um, kind of herbalism traditions, which are encompassed within Siddha medicine and Ayurveda. And, and largely, you know, it's, it, there's the bioregional differences in herbs, but there are many commonalities amongst the herbs between North and South India. And, you know, there's the linguistic changes, um, but a lot of the core tenets are very similar, if not identical, between the, the North and South Indian cultures um, and their medicine traditions. And so, you know, it was that study in the Kriya lineage that really started igniting my passion for studying Ayurveda. Um, you know, because I had already gotten into clinical nutrition, you know, um, I started practicing clinical nutrition in 2011, uh, February 2011. I opened my practice in Colorado. And um, one of my earlier teachers who was a clinical nutritionist was also a doctor of oriental medicine. So they were, you know, teaching us the meridian system and the, the acupoints and um, a synthesis of how to work with herbalism and um, assessing the, the acupoints in conjunction with your herbal medicine. Um, so I was introduced to the five elements ideas and they were also introducing to us Ayurvedic concepts. But over time, you know, I started realizing like the level of depth that exists in these other five element traditions. And so I became, you know, that, that's what drew me. It was like, okay, who, who wrote the Vedas? What is, are the branches of the Vedas? You know, what is Ayurveda and what is the context of it? And, and, you know, that, that's what drew me deeper into both the study of the medicine path as a whole, um, you know, in a clinical sense and how psychedelics fit into that historically within my own lineages and within the lineages, I would continue to seek out new lineages. Um, and so that was, you know, that I spent 10 years living in Southern Colorado. Um, and I, I did end up studying or I end up, I ended up getting influenced by a number of different herbalism traditions. Um, you know, I, I corresponded with different people who really inspired me in different areas of the world, you know, cause well, I had gotten a lot of momentum, you know, what, once you start doing things, right. I mean, I was seeing clients and really testing protocols, right. And, um, yeah, like what, what is what, what really works? And my, my kind of 
my experimentation clinically ended up kind of arriving at the conclusion that all of the best healing results that I had seen with the people that influenced me, they are using combinations of mm -hmm. intact medicine traditions that incorporate psychedelics amongst the other forms of herbalism. You know, so I practice a synthesis of, you know, modern, the best of modern science with the best of lineage tradition. And, you know, it's like working on the body as a whole. So we, we incorporate things into our neural wellness protocols that are, uh, you know, that they're truly holistic and, and they accomplish some wonderful outcomes. Um, but in terms of, you know, the, the Himalayan connection, you know, it's like Mahavatar Babaji, you know, I just started realizing like he doesn't exist in a vacuum. You can study everything that he was a part of. It's out there. A lot of, I mean, some of it's in English. I mean, the, the bulk of it's not in English, <laughs> but um, you know, it's like some people have published papers, um, you know, that I, I've seen papers on the Indic psilocybin traditions and people have, you know, since Wasson have proposed ideas for what is Soma, and I can tell you, you know, my, I've, I've arrived at a couple of fat, facts, you know, in that exploration, you know, through, through the last 15 years of devoting myself to this work. And I'd certainly feel like I'm a beginner um, mm -hmm. compared to, <laughs> compared to my truest, my biggest inspirations, you know, I'm definitely a beginner. Um, but <laughs> like, in terms of what is Soma, you know, there, there's, I, I, I would like to expound two aspects of that. One, um, soma can be de defined broadly as the, a liquid principle in nature. Mm. So um, this is very much correlating with the concept of yin in, in Chinese medicine. But, you know, it, it has all these correspondences, uh, which, you know, is but very much an esoteric thing. Um, but... So, you know, so that's its broadest sense, and it exists in all things that are wet. Um, you know, uh, herbs, certain herbs have a higher amount of this um, energy, right? Mm. And so, you know, I don't want to get too deep into that, <laughs> but um, I will say that, you know, there, there are simple things like oats, you know, common foods that you can tell are very lubricating to the body. Anything that's lubricating to the body is usually going to be high in soma. And soma is something that is, you know, in, very much used on a day-to-day -day basis in Ayurveda. You know, uh, you need to get soma to keep your body liquid and you need to be able to digest and assimilate that soma. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we get soma from different sources, but, you know, like milky oats is, a, you know, the kind of a herb um, versus a food, but milky oats are incredibly soothing to the nervous system, mm. right? And if, you, and if you look at all the properties of that herb, you know, what, what, is, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What is it, what is it like when you eat it? What is it like in your mouth? You know, the, 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 that herb in particular, oats and milky oat tops are a really prime example of um, common high soma um, foods and herbs. But it, when you get into... Um, the science of rejuvenation that's encompassing, um, you know, a whole branch of Ayurveda. There are many of the common herbs that people think about that are soma herbs. You know that they're rejuvenation herbs, and they help to basically restore the cell salts in the body. And the cell salts are um, 
pivotal, you know, in maintaining the proper state of water. And um, yeah, like cell, you can get cell salts from different sources and you can get them from plants. And those cell salts are, you know, help to create a stable hydration in the cells so that your tissues don't dry out, you know? So like there are herbs for um, hydrating your skeletal system and your connective tissue, you know? And, and these are kind of like the, the deeper rejuvenation secrets that I was seeking after. And, um, you know, so, so that, that's kind of like a common way that we encounter Soma, right? From the environment. Like I live in Southern Oregon now and the environment is wonderfully wet compared to where I lived in Colorado. Right. And you live in Hawaii. So it's like we can actually get that moisture directly from the yeah. environment. Right. And so we can get it from the environment, from our food, from herbs. And when it comes to herbs, you know, there's like standard kind of normal day to day soma. But then there's soma as it pertains to as it's defined as um, psychedelic alkaloids, mm. psychotropic alkaloids. So. I think that's its most broad definition. You know, all psychedelics can be, well, I, I would say all natural psychedelics can be defined as soma, uh, in my opinion. And so that, that's its most broad sense. But there's, there is a true Vedic soma, and it's not the Amanita mushroom. But the Amanita mushroom does have soma in it. You know? And, and this, you know, the secrets of the Vedic Soma are out there and they can be, uh, it can be understood and it's a ritual that can be engaged in, in an authentic way. Um, but, you know, it's like, I, I don't have, I don't diminish Amanita in any way. It's, you know, it is an amazing fungi um, and it, it, it has all its, you know, long list of benefits and uses beyond psychedelic, you know, it has medical benefit as well. And so... Amanita is an important uh, fungi, you know, in human history and human experience. But um, I, I, you know, I think there's factual evidence. I know that there's factual evidence for proving that Amanita, the Amanita theory of Soma is not exactly correct. It's not what's being referred to in the, in the Rig Veda, Mandala 9. It's, that's not what they're talking about. But, you know, if you take the broadest definition of Soma, you know, Amanita does kind of fit in there in a sense. You know, it, it is Soma, right? It's, it's, it's one of those things like where all, all psychoactives are, are Soma, but not all, <laughs> not, not all mushrooms are psychoactive, but not all are Soma, the, in, terms of, in terms of the Vedic Soma, right? They're, they're exactly the same, only different. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of like, I'm with you. We have this discussion around a lot of things like that. Yeah. Tequila and mezcal, right? <laughs> all, all mezcal is tequila, but not all tequila is mezcal. Right. 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 I, I, tequila is an interesting one because it has to be made in tequila, Mexico, right? Like that's the only only way it can be tequila. <laughs> Same with champagne and frac. Like, it, is, it, right. is it champagne or is it Prosecco? I guess well, it depends where it's made, right? And I'm sure if you talk to the right distiller, he would say, listen, George, you, you, you don't understand what's happening over here in, in this part of Mexico. But yeah, I, I think it's a great, it's a fascinating concept. And I think it paints a picture of what it takes 
to begin to understand the necessary pathway for healing. You know, and I, I'm wondering, after spending time in Colorado and being inspired by Rose and, and having the, the childhood that you did, at what point in time did you decide like, okay, I think I'm ready to help heal somebody. That seems like it's a missing, a missing step we haven't talked about yet. Like there had to be a point where you're like, okay, I think I'm ready to start helping people now. What was, am I just making that up? Or was there a point where you decided you were good enough or someone helped help you say, look, man, I think you're ready to do this. Right. Yeah. And I mean, um, well, yeah, if we go back and, and we look at like after I, after I had my first psilocybin journey, you know, there was, there was no integration support. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so figure it out. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and it was challenging. I, I feel like I actually did need decades later to talk about mm-hmm. it with integration professionals, <laughs> um, yeah. to really get the full integration. Um, and so, but definitely, you know, it was like, once I made those realizations about the nature of reality, you know, it was like, I, and I determined, and I had the psilocybin journey and I'm like, okay, you know, I understood a lot more about the illusory nature of reality and, um, you know, concepts of time, my concept of time changed and, um, you know, my, my ability to think for myself and follow mm. my own path really came out. And so, you know, and that was at a relatively young age and, um, and, and the culture was not very supportive of that around me. It's still not. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I did, you know, I, I just decided like, here's this path that my parents mm-hmm. carved out for me. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. Mm. Right. So, uh, you know, instead they, they, I rem, I remember being a boy and thinking, Look at these neurologists that are trying to help me. They're so amazing. They're so smart. I want to be like them. I want to be like, you know, in this position that they're in. And, um, you know, that, then by the time I was a teenager, I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, so, um, and, and so, yeah, it was, it was like when I, I, I was supposed to like, do this, follow this specific trajectory in my studies and like go to a certain type of institution and like have a very specific career path. And, and then, you know, I ate the psilocybin and then I was like, you know, I, I I have to find my own way. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And, uh, and so that's, that's where it all changed. Right. In my late teens, I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, all these things I've been interested in, I'm going to fully devote myself to them. And that, and so I started studying them right. Um, in a lot, in every different way that I could. And so I got into, um, clinical nutrition. Um, I got into herbalism and not only was I studying it intellectually, but like, I was also of course devoting myself to it practically in every way that I could investing all of my, wages into buying herbs you know i was immersing myself in the healing path and like testing everything that i learned on myself and um you know so so much that i mean it's been decades of of that you know um you know because once you figure out what works then you you know you're constantly working on refining it and maintaining your health and and rejuvenation you know that's really the 
the path of Ayurveda and specifically the Rasayana path is, you know, the path of rejuvenation is a lifelong effort, um, you know, with progressive phases of, of going deeper into uh, maintaining your cell salts and, and mm. rejuvenating your systems. So, um, so that, you know, that in that phase, you know, it was years and years and years of, of study, um, you know, is like, during that time, I kind of like, I, I, I was trying to make ends meet. So I started working as a supplement. Um, I sold supplements at the biggest supplement store in Southern California, um, which was, a, had an incredible inventory of herbs. I mean, they mm -hmm. were, they started out in the seventies, um, selling just herbs at this little, in this little beach town. And, um, you know, over the years, I, I mean, I grew up shopping there and I was a little boy, uh, going to eat the sample vitamins. <laughs> like, Oh, I can't, I was so excited to like pop open the tester bottle and get kids chewables. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, me and my brother like run to do that. And, uh, so then I, started working there later on. And I, I saw, you know, people were, would come in and be like, uh, you know, they would just ask you questions and you get, I used to get training from the supplement companies. Like, um, a lot of big names would come in and do these little, uh, afternoon classes. And so it was like mm -hmm. companies like new chapter and mega foods and, um, smaller ones like eclectic herbs and local brands, like a health force, snap health force naturals or health force, mm -hmm. whatever it is now. And, um, um, you know, so they would tell you all about their products and what's in them and how to use them. And then people come from the community and they're like, I need something. And so that was the very beginning where I wasn't really ready, but right. they gave me information and it was like, go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're like telling people, yeah, get these cordyceps. I mean, that was mm. decades ago. And I'm like, yeah, you, you need you're trying to get a boost, take these cordyceps. Uh, you got this ginseng, we got these mm -hmm. nettles. And, um, you know, it was like, so many products and you know that's how it turned into you know when once i ate the psychedelics and i was doing that work and i'm doing my studies on and um you know it was like then the the community i was in a lot of experimentation with the plant-based right. diet and psychedelics and that you know that's how it all started like putting all your wages to buying herbs like okay we didn't know anything though it was like hush woo okay let's read everything we can and take it. And, and we didn't know anything about traditional guidelines or, you know, the scriptures or the source texts or, you know, got, uh, how to recommend something properly. And so it was kind of crazy, you know, it was like, <laughs> if I look yeah. back on it, I'm like, God, this is just wrong. <laughs> Maybe not even beneficial, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, we're passionate and, um, you know, we're, I mean, we were being employed of that, the team of people. That's what they still do to this day. I mean, people from the local community just go in that shop and ask questions and buy products and experiment. Um, but the more that I did my studies, you know, more, the more I started realizing them, I got to do things a little differently. Yeah. And so then my, my next job was, um, well, I, I also waited tables at that point. And then I got to the point where I'm like, I have to make a big jump away from this stuff. Like, I don't want to work in supplements. I don't want to work waiting tables. Um, I don't want to work, you know, at these stores, shops. And I was like, universe, I really felt strongly, you know, like universe, I need to do something in this interim period where I'm studying. 
and I need to like have a huge shift to something that feels better. And, you know, I, I kind of really felt the entrepreneurial spirit and I kind of started doing my own thing, which was, um, through my connections in the community, I knew some guys who had started a superfood company and they, you know, were like, yeah, we'll give you a, we'll give you a wholesale account. And I was like, that's it. You know, I'm going to start selling superfoods. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got into, I bought stuff that I felt like was reasonably safe for most people. Right. So we were buying all the major foods like, um, you know, hemp seeds and goji berries and um, some of the herbs, you know, simple herbs that I felt like were safe and um, minerals. I was really big on the minerals. And so I was just buying my wholesale inventory and then organizing local talks and selling my own supplements. And I was, you know, focusing more on things that felt right for me to sell instead of trying to sell like everything under the sun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I didn't even have any say in um, before. So, um, so I started selling the, those products on my own. And, um, and then at the time I got into a relationship with someone who was own, uh, owning and operating a retreat management company. Mm-hmm. And they were involved in hosting these wellness retreats all over the world. Um, they were going to South America and, um, hot springs in the, in all over the U S and Canada. And, and so I, I started, I mean, I was in a relationship with this person. And then at one point I started working with them and, and we went to Indonesia and did some wellness stuff, wellness retreats in Bali. And, wow. and yeah, we had various people that we consulted to and, and I ended up, um, shifting to Arizona and for about a year and a half, I was doing that same type of thing at a permanent location where I was like basically uh, on the staff of a, a wellness retreat and they let me host my talks. And pro- I also got into cold lasers at the time. So mm. I was providing um, certain types of cold laser services and, um, and uh, you know, set private sessions with cold lasers and I would sell the cold lasers as well. They were approved for kind of consumer use. So, so that's what happened. People would come to this wellness retreat and I would help um, behind the scenes managing different things. Like I did website uh, management and I managed the inventory for uh, herbs and superfoods. And I managed certain aspects of uh, creating living foods like bulk fermented vegetables uh, for the clientele to eat on the certain programs. And, um, I also brought in like the, the the raw spring water program for everyone to drink raw spring water from the local spring that I would harvest. And um, so that was like, felt a lot better for me. Um, you know, I felt like I was getting paid as an independent contractor mm-hmm. and, you know, I was, I was a little bit more of a real entrepreneur and I felt like I had more control and, you know, it was a really good experience. Um, and I got to live at this incredible location um, in a rural area is so super beautiful. Um, and so then, it, 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 so I was doing that for years, you know, like how many years went by, like seven years went by. And then I got to the point where, you know what, the last mentor that I had, um, 
he was a, a, a Japanese acupuncturist and he had gotten into um, these clinical nutrition things as well. And, and so our paths were aligning through basically through clinical nutrition. And he was giving me a lot more insight into acupuncture from a different angle, you know, because one of my teachers, is, as I mentioned, a doctor of oriental medicine, but I wasn't an acupuncturist. And, and so he was mentoring me in certain ways and opening my eyes to a lot of things. Um, and, you know, it was like, I got, I got to a point in my um, clinical nutrition studies where, you know, I went through a clinical nutrition program and then I had all these mentors and, you know, after enough time with my mentors and, you know, going through a program and feeling like I had not only uh, the intellectual basis, but, you know, my men my mentor support was there as well. And I was like, I feel capable, you know, I'm at the point where I'm, you know, in a position where I can open a practice. And so I did that, but I moved to, I moved from Northern Arizona to Southern Colorado to do that so that I could open my practice in proximity to these teachers of the Indic enlightenment traditions that I was pursuing. So, you know, I, I, during the, I lived either at an ashram or next door to the ashram yeah. for many years where you, I would wake up and hmm. it was a place where they kept horses. So I would, you know, we had to, as Seva, we would take care of the horses and take care of the ranch. And, you know, I learned all these things that I didn't know growing up that wasn't a part of my upbringing. Like I did all these firsts, like uh, we constructed horse shelters from scratch mm. and we fixed the wire fencing and, um, you know, like learned how to live on a solar off-grid property at 8,000 feet um, in a remote area with no, like no infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, like dirt roads and forest and, you know, like a thousand people. And so, <laughs> um, and, and, but pe the, this community there attracts, it's built around retreat centers. And um, in the, in the warmer months, all these people come from all over the world to do retreats with these different lineages. And mm -hmm. so the economy booms in the warm months and then shrinks in the, in the winter and, you know, it's like I, so I realized in the winter I needed to have an online business, and I started, you know, started building some online businesses. Um, but anyways, you know, it was like so that's what I was doing is I opened a practice doing clinical nutrition and herbalism, and I then opened uh, an online business where we were selling herbal formulas. Um, so it was the next evolution. Now we were selling more clinically oriented formulas, and we sold formulas that help to work on chronic um chronic infections actually was our main specialty and so that's that's actually been a main component of my work is i have a big focus on chronic infections and you know neuroimmunology is mm -hmm. one of my studies you know i got into um neuroimmunology through some people you know i mean the main teachers were dr karazian in the functional medicine community and so studying people around him um like Dr. Hal Blumenfeld, uh, neuroanatomy, and um, you know the, these different functional clinical methods. Um, that that was a huge component for me. Um, so you know, it was like I, I've been. So that's why I mentioned, like, at, at one point I said the the synthesis of tradition and modern science. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, I had been 
exploring psychedelics and I'd been exploring these traditions. And then I started having just organic experiences, you know, where once I open my practice and you, you get that rubber on the road and you see what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know, like I said, that I feel from everything I have been able to ascertain if, from my direct experience, as well as from other sources, that the best clinical healing results when it comes to, um, you know, I don't practice medicine, you know, um, but, but when it comes to herbalism, when it comes to traditions like Ayurveda and, you know, five element systems, you know, these are the areas where I feel the best clinical outcomes happen. You know, and it, in my opinion, it happens when you get that synthesis of the best of the traditional and the best of the modern scientific. And, you know, it was, it was through my own exploration of like seeing these principles, where, where things intersect and how I could create formulations, um, create formulations with different types of ingredients that I didn't see anywhere else. But as I used herbs, you know, as I, as I used both um, the rejuvenation herbs, um, as well as the psychotropic herbs. And I started seeing there's a place where all of this intersects and, you know, all the light bulbs were going off. And, um, you know, so I feel like I'm going past your question a little bit. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was about a period of seven years where, um, you know, I, I was studying and, and experimenting and um, learning and trying to work jobs and do, and kind of bridging the gap until I could get to the point where I would, I could do what I do now. Um, mm. so, you know, and, and in that, like, there's still, it's still an ongoing process. You know, I actively engage in continued education. Um, you know, and, and right now uh, for me, for the last six years, I focus the bulk of my continued education on authentic lineages. Um, going really deep into intact lineages. Um, and I, but I continue to keep up to date with science, you know, like I, 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 I spend time with reading all of the papers that are relevant. You know, I, I read and I read them in as a whole, I read the methodology, you know, it's like, you know, abstract methodologies, results, conclusions that, and I get deep into, you know, maintaining what I've created and evolving it. And, and so that's what goes into the neural wellness protocols and, uh, you know, that the neural wellness protocols, um, are really kind of like what I bring to the table. You know, it's like Rose brings this incredible ba base of like understanding how to work with deeply entrenched patterns. And that's really what, mm -hmm. um, what moksha journeys focuses on you know we are specialists in working with all types of rehab you know our team works on some of the most difficult cases um cases that other people turn away even um and, and so we work with people who have histories of trauma um people who have early childhood trauma complex ptsd um you know we we work with people who you know need deep healing um that's not all that we do, but you know, that's kind of what we're geared towards. And that's one, one of the areas in which the neural wellness protocols shines. Yeah, that's, I think it's relevant because I, I was going to ask this question. I think you covered it, but you know, it seems to me that one, you have to find your own way before you can help someone figure out what it is 
that they're looking for. If that kind of makes sense, like, you know, how much of the problems do we see manifesting themselves are a symptom of someone that is not living a life that's true to their nature? You know, I mean, I, it seems for a very long time, all of us have been plugged in to a job or a position or a label that was given to us by our culture. You can be a fireman, you can be a truck driver, you can be a doctor, but stay in the mold. Don't go over there. You know, and it, it seems like as long as everyone stayed in their lane, then we were moving. We had this myth of progress that was that was taught to us, that was given to us by our schools. And now it seems that it, maybe it's because I'm getting older or maybe it's what's really happening out in the world is this veil is kind of being lifted like, hey, that was all kind of bullshit. Look at that over there. And people are starting to freak out a little bit. So when I start to hear people like you or I see these industries of healing that are intertwining the ideas of traditional and science, it just seems like this more holistic approach. Like you need both of them. Like you need to have, you know, you need to have both pillars. You need to have that double helix spiraling up if you want to be able to cross in between them. And I guess I want to get into the, I want to get into the protocols, but before I jump into that, I have just one question that goes to the idea. And I think you're unique to answer this because you have traveled to India. You've traveled to these different places. And one of my ideas is that it's not necessarily my idea, but it's this idea that, you know, different countries have different diseases. Like when you go to India, are there like a lot of young girls that are anorexic there, you know, or, you know, it just seems to me like different societies have created different illnesses. Is that something you've found? Um, I would say yes. Uh, there are commonalities amongst global cultures, you know, like, like the effects of um, burning fossil fuels, mm. you know, it's like, yeah, that's... With, I don't want to digress, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, that's a major thing that unifies all humans in terms mm. of disease pathology, you know, because it's like not all, it's carbon is not the main issue, in my opinion, okay. from, you know, listening to other experts in environmental science, like it's the chemicals. There are many other types of chemicals in fuels and those chemicals, when they're burned, you know, they create metabolites. And so they're oxidized and then you have hydrocarbon based toxins besides carbon. Mm. And so you can look it up, look at the list of additives in gasoline. You can look yeah. it up on Wikipedia and it's pretty accurate. All of those chemicals end up in an oxidized form in the environment. And so that is creating a severe toxicity for the planet and for humans. And, you know, it definitely stress, depending on your, you know, genetics and your environment, your lifestyle, that, that toxic stress affects you one way or another and some mm. worse than others. So I do think that, you know, some diseases have these global uh, unifying aspects, but when it comes to, you know, diseases, spiritual diseases, you know, mm. you know, spiritual psychological diseases, um, definitely, you know, those are, those are things that like each culture has its own neuroses. That right. On its that people. makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. So let me, let me, I can, I'll bird walk and go crazy on different things like that. It's fascinating to me. Thanks for allowing me to ask some of those questions, but let's, let's jump into what the neural wellness protocols are. I think I've been teasing people long enough 
let's talk about and let's maybe you can define what neural wellness is and then you can tell us about the neural wellness protocols that you have developed okay um what is you so I, I you're asking me to define what is a neural wellness protocol yes okay maybe you, yeah what is neural wellness maybe we could start with that and then I, the neural wellness protocol sure you know i mean i'll start with saying that the compound word is something that we like to use um, because for us, like, you know, it's, it's at that level. Like, right. It's a, <laughs> we, we practice neural wellness and it's not two words. It's one word. And um, it's really simple at its core, just as those two words imply or the compound word implies neurological wellness. So this is a, a particular relevance when we do the psychedelic work, right? The, and neural, neural wellness isn't limited to psychedelic work, but you know, it's, it's very intertwined with it. So, um, like, as I said, I don't practice medicine. You know, I, I am not a medical doctor, but I do practice wellness. You know, that's primarily what I'm interested in, you know, health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And so, when it comes to neuro wellness protocols, you know, it's, there are, it can, it can, it's, there's the broad definition and then there's the different types of protocols, but um, neuro wellness is anything that we do to cultivate neurological wellness or health. You know, a lot of our clients are starting out um, with a lot of severe kind of neuroimmunological issues. And so, especially our work focuses around neurotransmitter health mm. and and there's the ayurvedic way that i look at that and then there's like the functional way that i look at that so that's basically what it is i mean we we work on all the things that people talk about and we have our unique ways that we work on them you know like people have been just i've seen different blogs out there people introducing the ideas of like you know or the questions of how do psychedelics affect the gut brain axis or the brain gut mm. axis. Um, you know, that that's a question that's very much kind of coming out of the functional community. Um, and that's something we work on. Um, but in particular, you know, how, do, how do neurotransmitters affect your psychedelic health? I mean, psychedelic experience, you know, and, and how does your neurotransmitter health affect your therapeutic outcome? You know, like your baseline neurotransmitter health, your neuroimmunology, how does that affect your one's therapeutic outcome when taking psychedelics? You know, so if you look at the progression of, of studies that are coming out, um, you know, like you see the Johns, various Johns Hopkins papers or Imperial College of London, you know, both of them in collaboration with Beckley Foundation, you know, you, which I, I think I'd like to touch on maybe a little bit yeah. later, you know, there, there's, um, you know, there's people are starting to show how long do the benefits last after a certain number of journeys, whether it's, you know, one journey, several journeys, you know, how long are the, do you get the benefits? And I, you know, I, I have my criticisms <laughs> of the, of how they look at these things. But one thing I've been saying for a long time is that, you know, from my experience with myself and working with my clients, you know, you, you can definitely create shifts um, using the psychedelics, 
and they can be long lasting shifts. But the, the deepest integration, in my opinion, happens when you, when you heal your body to the point where the expanded state of awareness that you experience in a journey is matching your day-to-day -day consciousness in your body. So having an expanded state of freedom with your health and wellness, you know, are you bringing that change that you realized all the way into the physical? And the psychedelic doesn't do that on its own completely. You know, like it may, it, it does and may affect certain um, physiological changes, but it doesn't do all the work for you. Right. And so that's kind of along the lines of like working on the gut brain axis and the brain gut axis. And, you know, that's kind of where the neuro wellness protocols come in because, you know, this is, this is a, a I, I want to introduce it at the right time in the right way, but you know, the, I'm not sure if you've seen any of our content around this yet, cause we're just getting going, but you know, that I have the main star of the neuro wellness protocols are what I call my stack. You know, I haven't named the stack. Mm -hmm. It's very different than uh, the Stamet stack. It has mm. no relation to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it is a stack, you know, it's a formula. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, you, you can put that, you can make that formula um, in different ways. You know, you could put it all mm -hmm. in one capsule. Yeah. Or you can combine it in different ways with different materials. Right. And so, um, so that I have my primary core stack and then I have kind of a, a supplementary protocols, you know, so... Mm. We work with people who have come off, who are wanting to come off of, um, I mean, a lot of people do this, but I'm saying it, we, we, we do work with people who want to be off their antidepressants. So they may have already titrated off according to their doctor's instructions. Um, but you know, they need support to really mm -hmm. be well after that. Um, so they do the journeys and, and they do microdosing. Um, neuro wellness protocols are things that can help tremendously to bridge to bridge you know like for instance if you come off of an ssri or snri you may not feel great you know <laughs> <laughs> yep it's true it's a common thing, right we see it all the time so yeah. your wellness protocol can naturally help support your brain health and wellness so that you feel better in that that intermittent period where you're you know going to take your journeys or going to do your microdosing and there's, you need additional support, you know, cause there's mm -hmm. a, there's a gap there, you know? Yeah. Makes sense. So that's one area. And then the, 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 the stack, you know, people can do both things. Like the, the stack is something we incorporate in the journey work um, primarily. Um, so people might do both things, you know, they might have a neuro wellness protocol that they're doing before they come to a journey, you know, to help them on the day-to-day -day until they get to their journeys. Mm -hmm. And they might continue with that neural wellness protocol during and after their retreats. Um, but then the stack is something we employ during the journeys. And, you know, the, this is kind of like where I like to re reference the, the Beckley Imperial and Beckley Johns Hopkins studies and analyses mm -hmm. um, because they, you know, there's some really great data there and representations of that data that help to illustrate my points really well. Um, 
so you know it, it i ha this really did come from this kind of all these different synchronicities with my personal exploration and my studies where i was just getting these aha moments you know seeing how things were working in my body and having different types of journeys and connecting different dots and you know i was able to make this realization that if you have major dysregulation in your neurotransmitter system you know we're to the point where you maybe are taking pharmaceutical uh, antidepressants or something similar or or maybe you're not but you're at that same level of dysregulation um you know you and that's affecting your mindset right so that's part of your set Maybe you could define that a little bit more for people. Like when you say neurotransmitters are disrupting their their system, like does that manifest as depression or anxiety or is, like? Can you maybe maybe broaden that so people could understand like what that means? Yeah, I mean, hope, hopefully you can keep me on track. <laughs> no, you're doing uh, a great job. I just wanted you to. I get what you're saying, and I'm sure a lot of the audience does. Yeah. For people who may listen to this or jump right in, like what does that mean when your neuro when your neurotransmitters are out of alignment or Right. What does it mean when they're not in a healthy state? Right. So we'll, we'll I'll start. I'll take a step back with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say that like I primarily come from the Ayurvedic standpoint with my work, and when we look at mood, um, and we look at all the things that can affect mood, you know, when we even use the word neurotransmitter, right? Um, well, you know, there, there's this. We can get really granular with current science on it and the debates that are being had around neurotransmitter mediated models of depression and treatment. Mm. Um, but I look at it from a different angle, which, you know, goes hand in hand with the science, which is that neurotransmitters, which I think people basically may, do, may know that like there's some connection, there's some correlation between your neurotransmitters and how your and your mood, right? That neurotransmitters, what are they? I mean, mm. I equate them to brain hormones, mm. essentially. And and I and I think that lines up. You know, I've had a lot of corroboration on that idea. Like it's a, basically a brain hormone. And you know, it's in the gut as well, right? That axis, but it's part of the nervous system. So whether it's when your gut or your brain, we're talking about nervous system hormones. Um, serotonin in the gut, serotonin in the brain, these are brain hormones, uh, all of them you know, we can list them off, but, um, yeah. So, but what, what even is a brain hormone? Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we, there's a couple ways to look at that. Um, you know, at it, it, they're, hormones are basically controlling our expression, our expression of energy, right? Mm -hmm. Adrenaline and cortisol are affecting having energy or not having energy, right? In terms of getting up, being able to do things physically, right? Stand up, move, physical energy, right? Um, so that's that type of energy. Your reproductive hormones are affecting your sexual energy, right? You have the energy to engage in healthy sexual expression or not. You know, if you don't have the energy to do that, if it's declining, then we need to take a look at your reproductive hormones or, you know, just the, the hormones that come from those glands, no matter what state of life you're in. And, and so, you know, the, they're units of energy. And so, you know, from a traditional perspective, I look at it like this, um, you know, they're part of the liquid principle in the mm. physiology. And so when we have different pathologies 
that increase heat in our body, you know, it can come from different angles. You know, there's all different ways in which we can get factors that burn up our liquid, right? And that's the basis of aging. Um, whether we're talking about just water or we're talking about homo hormones, hormones, you know, in Ayurveda, we would kind of use certain Sanskrit words like snigda, which means oily, right? And so yeah, this is coming from um, the, you know, this is correlated to this concept called ojas. Ojas is basically uh, the raw, raw energy that you need to fuel your immune system. And if you have healthy immunity, you have a lot of ojas. And, you know, if you have a lot of, you know, energy in general, you know, that energy is this substance that's quantified in Ayurveda, um, vitality. Vitality mm -hmm. is quantified in this concept of ojas. And you can get to a point with ojas where you have enough of it that your, your immunity is at the point of like heroic immunity. I taught a class on that called heroic immunity because the word for that level of immunity, immunity is bala. And bala means strength. And bala is a words that words that it's a word that is associated traditionally with heroes, mm. whether whether it's the the medicine masters at the root of the Ayurveda traditions, you know, they that's a word that's associated with them is this word virya, which means uh, potency. Uh, it, it it but it really is um, kind of associated with the word hero. So virya is potent potency and so these words like that these heroes they have bala strength um and so that it's kind of like this the concept of bala is really closely tied to ojas and immunity if you have bala it's because you have immunity mm. you have this immune strength and the fuel for that is the liquid principle it actually starts at its most subtle form in nature and filters all the way till we bioaccumulate it in our physiology and it forms the, the cerebrospinal fluid and it forms hormones mm -hmm. including brain hormones like neurotransmitters which are an oily substance that's secreted by the glands and that's the key word there secreted mm. what does that imply right it implies that it's some type of liquid right you secrete liquids, right? You, whether it's milk or sweat or sebaceous fluid, you know, you're secre secreting oily, unctuous is actually what Snigga translates as, unctuous substances. So, you know, and it, there's all kinds of tools that you use in Ayurveda, like putting healthy fats on the skin to get the endocrine gland of, that is the skin to produce hormones, right? Because mm -hmm. we know that fat, you eat fat, and it, cholesterol helps to produce hormones, right? You need minerals and you need cholesterol. So the skin can produce hormones. Um, your, your brain can produce hormones. Your gut produces hormones. Your gland is producing hormones, right? So um, so the, the, that's how it all ties together. Yeah, right. <laughs> and soma yeah. is really the, the, the origin of it. Soma in nature, right? So you look at the foods like snigda, uh, unctuous foods, you know, that have fat, you know, have, just look at their whole process of how the plant develops that food and all those correspondences of, you know, how we're getting the unctuousness of nature into our physiology so that we stay unctuous. And, 
neurotrans that's neurotransmitters. And if someone has, um, you know, a mood imbalances, it's usually because their system has a pathology where they're burning up their unctuousness, mm-hmm. right? So usually all the different types of unctuousness, right? The fluids, the water, the, the glandular secretions. And so, yeah, the neurotransmitters um, are getting burned up. And heat is something that is, you know, whether you have a heat excess, uh, like what's considered a heat pathology or a cold pathology in five element systems, everybody is who has a pathology is generating some type of chronic inflammation, acute or chronic inflammation, right? And so there it is, inflamed, flame, mm. fire, right? Right. What is that doing? What is the flame doing? Inflaming you and flaming or burning everything that's the opposite of the fire. What is the direct opposite, right? You, I mean, we know this, water <laughs> evaporates. So, um, so that's what yeah. the neural wellness protocols are helping to, that's what they're helping to, to regulate is this idea of the, of the soma, the water and, and the heat and all together like that. And it, it's different stacks for different types of ailments or for, for different types of, of, I guess, I guess it kind of depends on what the person is trying to achieve, what it is that they're out of balance in is, is, would you correlate a separate kind of stack for a separate kind of ailment? Well, yeah, first I should say that, yeah, I don't, I don't diagnose, treat, or right. cure any right. disease. Right. <laughs> but, you know, we have medical doctors on our team. Right. Um, and, you know, they, you know they're, they're learning my protocols. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, we, cre- we create custom, the custom protocols, you know, like ah, we look yeah. at the genetic data, you know, we look at all the different variants, you know, that might be relevant. Um, we look at, your history, we look at, you know, all the different things that we can assess, all the different data we can gather, and we create the custom protocols for each individual need. But when it comes to moksha journeys, mm. you know, that that's where we're doing things that are specifically going to enhance your, your experience in a macrodose journey, as well as enhance the integration period as well. And so I think that's a good segue into yeah. talking about um, some a couple of these papers that I like to yeah please a little bit you know because this is this is re- really where our main stack shines and what it does um, so you know I'm gonna put on my glasses yeah here. Um, <laughs> so you know I I don't I don't think I could share my screen. But um, might, if you if you press present down here, you might be able oh, okay. to. I okay, so I'm gonna do it. Okay, okay, yeah, I'd love to see it. <laughs> okay, great, awesome. So uh, share screen. Yes. There we go. Share. There it is. is am I coming through? There, there we go. go. Whoa. Um, <laughs> okay. How does that look? It's. It's good. I can I can read it off. I okay, great. Make, okay. So, the first, um, the first. I I really like this um, particular 
study and paper. Um, this is the the chart that we all want to talk about, but okay. it comes from there was the this is this chart here is an analysis. It was put together by Beckley Foundation mm -hmm. using the data that they acquired in conjunction with this study that uh, you know was done collaboratively with um, Robin Carhart Harris and the Imperial College of London. And so um, let's see. I think I'm gonna this off of that okay so as you can see here that there was 19 participants and they did this is the fmri study on depression and um you know that those 19 participants um are their outcomes are what are depicted here i mean this this is what they experienced in the um in the journey itself mm -hmm that they did so you can see the purple line here um this this what this is the data from nine of the participants that they called responders and then the 10 non-responders the these people in the in the red category they did get benefit from their experience however these are the people who experienced uh more challenging aspects in their journey Right. Mm -hmm. And they called them non-responders because their therapeutic outcome was not as good mm. as the people who experienced greater mystical states. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the purple line is all about. They're they're mapping the qualities of the mystical state and showing, you know, that the responders had greater experience of unity. Versus, you know, if you look to the other side, over here we have it's not directly opposing it, but we have anxiety. You know, and that's right. really how I look right. at it. You know, it's it, people will. This is what people are talking about when they, when they describe the quote unquote bad trip, right? And and we tr we don't use that word, or we try not to use it, or we put it in quotes because we don't. No, you know, anyone who's been around the block knows that <laughs> there's no such thing as a bad trip. However, you know, when when we're talking about working with deeply entrenched patterns, you know, which is our specialty, mm -hmm. um, you know, we 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 want to go to the best therapeutic outcome. So we want to take people to the mystical state as much as possible. And so that's what my stack does. It, you, people can be in a journey and starting to have these emotions, having anxiety. I kind of describe it as a feeling of like a downward spiral. And if I would put a vertical axis on this chart and kind of mm. like headline going down, you know, like they're spiraling downwards the feeling state is, you know, like it's destabilizing and the mystical state is going up, right? You're, you're having these positive, elevating, expansive experiences deepening into experiences of unity, right? And so that the stack can help someone who is experiencing anxiety, experiencing destabilization, having a very strongly challenging journey. And as soon as they start, digesting it 30 to 60 minutes later, they will go straight to the experience of unity. They will go to a mystical state. It will have a 180 degree turnaround. And I've seen this with myself and with our clients. Um, and so I've, <laughs> this kind of is the topic for a really engaging and exciting discuss discussion, depending on what are your cherished belief systems, mm. <laughs> you know, like, um, so, I, I have found that some people feel challenged by this idea 
that we can, you don't have to have a challenging journey. You know, you don't have to have a bad trip, even if you might start it out that way. Um, no, I just, I commented on this post on psychedelic spotlight recently. And, you know, they were, had this whole article on their site about, can you do anything about a challenging journey or bad trip, quote unquote. And, you know, it's like, well, well, you can just like try to focus on your mindset or try to feel better or just, you know, do work on it in the integration or whatever it said. It's like, there's nothing you can really do, but you can try to get the gold out of it and mm. it will get you benefit and you can work on having a good mindset and setting. Um, and so, you know, going into it, as I was saying, you know, tying it back to our discussion about neurotransmitters and mindset, you know, and, and how, you know, if you're, if you're having a challenging time in your life and you're concerned, you might not have a great mindset or the right set for a positive journey, you know, that's a major concern that's out there. Like people don't, some people don't want to have the, you know, those challenging experiences. And I can tell you, you know, it's more beneficial to have a mystical experience according to the data. And, um, and we can help you attain that with our neural wellness protocols or the stack. Um, and so not only is this, you know, this was the depression study mm -hmm. that um, Imperial College did, but then there's also, you know, the, the Johns Hopkins smoking cessation study, right? So there's this, actually, that's not the best. Let's see if I have it over here. Um, uh, I don't think I have it on this computer, but there's another graph from the paper um, with Johns Hopkins where they had uh, this smoking cessation data and there was several more um, charts here next to this mystical experience one, but this is really good. You know, it's like, what, how many people was it? Um, I want to say it was 15. Yeah, it was 15 participants in this Johns Hopkins study on smoking cessation. That was a 2016 paper. I know that this one here was published in 2017 or the end of 2017, the, the one with the mystical state data and the depression treatment. But the one with... Um, smoking cessation, that was a 2016 paper, and it had 15 participants. And um, they did the six-month follow-up, and at six months, 80% or 12 of the participants, you know, were, had quit smoking still. You know, they had a great outcome. And, you know, there's a couple other ones where they did some self-evaluations, other scorings, but this really does kind of explain the gist of it, where, um, you know, the on the bottom, you see the greater the mystical experience rating, the less cravings to smoke they were having, right? So the, here, more mystical experience, better change in craving for smoking. And so let me, let me bring up this to like, I think I'm getting lost. And I think some people watching this or listening to this may get lost in the words we're using. Like when you say, and this is, this is the part of the problem sure. is this subjectivity of it, right? Like if we talk about a bad trip, like this is a good graph. Like if we come down here and we say that people are having a bad, like, what does that mean? Like if they're having a challenging trip, like that doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation to it. And couldn't mystical also be bad. Couldn't mystical also hmm. be negative. Like, so how, I guess the, the question I'm having is, it seems like 
the only way we're able to measure this is subjectively, which is kind of, it's not a problem for me, but it's a problem for sciences. And it's, it's also a problem when you try to measure something. Like if you have a stack that can help people from having a challenging experience, might it be that just telling them beforehand that this is going to help? Maybe that's what's doing it. You know what I mean? Like how do you measure that your stack is actually doing that? Well, I mean, if we wanted to fully prove it, we would have to do a study, which is something that we're, you know, in multiple studies, which is something we endeavor to do. And right. you know, so we have research, um, we have uh, kind of researchers on our team who have cut their teeth on doing right. um, studies in the past, but, um, you know, that will come in time, I'm sure. Um, but to answer your question, um, you know, that this is qualitative data, right? It's not quantitative data. and. So qualitative, I mean, you could, some people could call that subjective. Yeah, they're tr doing their best to try to apply sure. the scientific method to something that is, you know, potentially subjective, but I think they're doing a good job of creating scales and measurements, you know? So like, um, I think if you dive into, you know, like the mystical experience questionnaire and how that evolved, the MEQ and how that evolved mm. a questionnaire of 500 questions to a, a questionnaire of 30 some questions, um, you know, and and something that like Roland Griffiths um, and uh, Bill, the Richards are, have been very involved with developing. Um, you know, the the MEQ is the subject of a lot of a lot of discussion. I mean, how do you quantify what is a mystical experience? Right. You know, that's that's where these things come from. These points here, um, experience of unity, spiritual experience, blissfulness. Um, you know, mo mo people generally don't. Um, qualify those things as challenging you know it's like if, mm. and i think one of the aspects of that is that you know when you're feeling really good in these types of states blissfulness unity you're feeling generally um you're going toward what well, i i describe it as you're going towards integration um so when you're feeling strongly challenged generally i you know if you're on the red line people tend to feel or I describe them as going away from integration because we've seen that these are the individuals when you have scores along more along this red line where, you know, we do a, a deeply engaged transformational process, right? And I think a lot of other retreat companies out there do that as well, where in the preparation, mm -hmm. you know, you're outlining what type of transformation goals you have, what right. do you want to use this catalyst to work on? And mm -hmm. not only are we, we, we're looking to get that change at every level, right? Fully integrate that into your life. And so, Jen, like, as I said, they call them the non-responders because these are the, the people who didn't quit smoking. You know, they would be generally more in this red line. The people who, um, you know, didn't, their depression didn't shift as much or, you know, in six months they weren't in, they weren't feeling as integrated. They weren't feeling like they got out of their depression as much. You know, that that's why I say the mystical state is helping you go there. It means helping to move towards integration. And I heard one people kind of one person actually asked me recently, does that mean like maybe that you're more grounded through the stack? And mm. I, you know, I, I, I actually have to think about that because it was a recent <laughs> conversation. Um, but in a sense, yes, I mean, you can go inward. I really feel like the scale is, you know, like of psilocybin is when you go more mystical, you go more inward towards yourself or your true self, mm. you know? And, and when we're experiencing 
things like entrenched patterns, you know, whether it's addiction, you know, like I use that word, we use substance use disorder is kind of like the common word now uh, in Mm -hmm. science that's emerging, um, historically called addiction. Um, You know, if you want to resolve addiction, you know, there's, you, you can, it can be resolved. Like we looked at the smoking cessation. I mean, we work with all kinds, Rose and our psychedelic assisted psychotherapists, they are experts in helping people, you know, we do rehab essentially and mm-hmm. that's kind of one of our main programs and so if we look at you know this is someone getting in touch with their true self you know meaning are they integrating and getting out of their negative entrenched pattern where their life is out of control and they're not feeling good and you know everything is chaotic and there's major issues and they need an intervention and their community is trying to support them to heal you know I mean, you can bridge that gap and we can help you get, you know, the best chance of fully taking that step from, you know, where you are to where you want to be. And the red line is kind of the risk of going for people who don't do, you know, who don't enter the mystical state as much. The data is showing that you may not end your uh, entrenched pattern. You may continue in that repetitive cycle you know, you may continue smoking or using whatever substances it is that you've become dependent on. And so, you know, it's like, uh, I, I hope that I'm answering your question. What do you no, think? No, you are. I, I do. I, I, it's a very complex question and no one knows for sure. And I, the questions I'm asking are purely just ideas that are coming to mind from things that I've read, you know, and, and I don't have the answers to this, but I'm curious just to get your opinion, you know, sometimes I think that the, and I don't have any, I don't even have a graph to prove this, but this is just my, my personal subjective ideas that I've been through where I think that the mystical experience is in direct correlation to what I call the Oh shit factor. And the Oh shit factor is like, Oh my God, I've taken too much. Oh shit. Like that to me is usually a sign that I am going to be what Marseille Eliade calls the terror before the sacred. And that's why I think that the mystical has its roots in the, in the, in the fanatical, like the mystical experience to me is often the, the understanding, like, like I don't have the book in like, um, Rudolf Otto has written on this. Marseille Iliad has written on this, but it's it's called like the the and I know you're aware of this. It's, it's the terror before the sacred. It's almost like being in the presence of God is so terrifying because you see this thing or you you're part of this thing that is so beautiful. There's no words. It's the it's the dog with his tail between his legs, like oh, just pissing himself. Like that is the mystical state for me because it's like. Oh my God, I'm in the presence of something so powerful, I'm paralyzed. And that's scary, man. That is like, <gasps> but that to me is the mystical state. That to me is the transformative state where the magic happens. And it's that, it's the height of the roller coaster. Like, oh, and then, you, and then it drops. But I think those things are correlated. And, and I think that you, you, on some level, trying to take out that, and, and replace it with the, ah, like, I don't think you get that, you know? And I, I think people need that. And, and, 
and like you said, there's no such thing as a bad trip. And shoot, I, I, that that would be a great, great point that you and me and five other people should sit down and debate. Like, is there such thing? That would be a great debate topic because I know people on both sides that would that we could really have an interesting conversation about that. And I think people need that. I I, I think that that's the that is the the dark humor that is the trickster deity it's all those things that scare you snap you out of this crazy cycle of samsara that we're in like don't we need to be scared out of our minds don't we need to be in the presence of a god that's threatening us like and if you look back at all the religions like it seems that you should be scared of God. Our God is a jealous God. Shiva's got two different faces on him, right? He's the creator and the bringer of death. Like, and shouldn't you, if you're in this mystical state, shouldn't you see the creator and the bringer of death? And shouldn't you be frightened from that? <laughs> Does that make I any love, sense? I love what you're saying. Yeah, no. And I would, I can say that there's actually, in my opinion, no debate between you and I. We're on the same page. I know. I know. And, but, and the okay. beautiful thing about what you're describing is like that is really kind of the the benefit of the mystical state in. Yeah. Some, I mean, in some specific regards, that is those are aspects of it, um, because the like the stack that I'm talking about, it doesn't eliminate those types of things. Okay, you know, yeah. And, and that's kind of I think I was recently describing that to someone where the stack isn't meant to control what you're going to experience. Mm. It's not going to help you avoid something that you need right. or avoid some part of the journey that is inherent to the journey that is part of the medicine, you know? And, and I think what you're describing is an essential part because, you know, I'm a part of initiate initiatory traditions and what yes. we're doing. In, yeah. And so I'm, <laughs> really that, right. And Rose is like the queen of that, you know? Um, but you know we're, what we're we're doing with moksha journeys it's people aren't getting formal initiations into our lineages <laughs> okay, okay. But, That's, you know right. i think psychedelics by their very nature are initiatory they and, are and we're helping people to create a container for their own initiation experience with themselves that's you know going to help them achieve what they want and sometimes that means you have to experience things that you didn't expect or that you mm -hmm may have no concept of and yes you know, there's these you know it's totally paradigm shifting and that can involve these aspects like you're describing where it's like ah can you know people go into a journey and we can't control if they're going to feel nervous or anxious or right. fearful or are you know we can help give guidance you know they may have concerns we may tell them you know like that's part of the process that's normal mm -hmm. you know that that's something that happens. Yeah. I mean, it's normal that people take the dose and then 30, 40 minutes in, they're like, you know, having some thing that's so different and they're like, you know, it's blowing their mind. And that might uh, be expressed in some of the ways that you're talking about. Um, so that's one of the big things that I like to emphasize about the stack is it, it doesn't, change what your journey is meant to be it supports you to have the best journey for mm. you and, mm, I and, and you know it can look a variety of different ways but at the end of it you know you know we, that we use these kind of qualitative measures as well as quantitative measures you know like we yeah. 
we're, we're in the business of helping people heal substance use disorders, um, heal complex PTSD. And, you know, it's like we see when people attempt those types of healing processes and they and they, it, it doesn't happen, you know, or it gets delayed or it might go on unnecessarily for longer periods of time. And then life happens and they might spiral off in some other direction. You know, it's like we specialize in helping people have the most efficacious, you know, journey and process possible. And so, you know, I, I think that you can't, that's, this is actually this. Okay. I am not for, <laughs> I'll tell you, I usually try to talk about what I am for, but I'll tell you that I'm not for the type of psychedelic drug development where we're trying to divorce the hallucinogenic aspects. Right, right, right. And right. I, inherently, if you experience ego dissolution, it's going to be scary. Even mm. with my stack, which is, <clears throat> I think it's awesome, you know, it's like, yeah, you're still going to have ego dissolution and you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm dissolving. <laughs> I'm dissolving. You know, I'm dying, maybe, you know, people still feel like they're dying an ego dissolution either way. But so. I, I remember in, in your, I think in a, in a recent post, there was something along the, the, the nature of that the stack will alleviate or reverse the process of someone having a bad trip. I think that's where I got caught up and I was thinking about that. Maybe I read that wrong. Was, was that accurate or like, what does that mean? Like, was that accurate? Was that in the post or something like that? Mm, I don't know. I. I'm not sure if I we made a post about that. Oh. I mean, we did. I mean, we we do these moksha moments um, okay. Zoom meetings once, usually once a month. Right. And so, in the last moksha moments a few weeks ago, we we this was the topic. Um, right. And so, I talked about this, and um, I'm not sure if we talked if we made a, any post besides that. You know, we right. mentioned it in the in the event page or, you know, in the comments around that. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, that, that's kind of, <laughs> that is kind of what I was talking about. Like, um, sometimes it can be a cherished belief that like, yeah, there's the, oh, and how do you, if you, if people want to be attached to their cherished belief that bad challenging journeys are necessary and you have to go through it, we can mm. agree to disagree on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all good. It's it all is. good. <laughs> um, and and you know, it's like I've, like I said, I I have had ch challenging journeys myself, and I wouldn't, you know, seek to erase them. Like mm. uh, I wouldn't go back in time with a time machine and and prevent them. Uh, but I have come to the point where I've learned that historically, in the, in our lineages. Psychedelics are combined in formulations mm -hmm. and yeah. they're not used as single mm -hmm. herbs for the most right. part. Right. And so like Rose, you know, she has been in the Himalayas in different areas, like the um, Eastern Himalayas and West Bengal, as well as up towards Nepal and uh, Badranath above, you know, um, north, Northwestern India. And her, her teachers there are, are giving her various psychedelics uh, in ritual settings right. lineage settings and all of them are done in formulation mm -hmm. and for specific reasons you know for then it's not just about having a you know a better journey or a non-challenging journey i mean the lineages have specific reasons why they want to use a combination of botanicals to you know and people are doing that now people are like combining making simple combinations out there i see different companies 
making psychedelic products and putting different herbs with them and exploring yeah. what that can do for you. And it's like, you know, that's why I talk about the blending of the tradition and the, and the modern science, because, you know, I, I, I think that even in the best, most efficacious clinical methods from ancient traditions that are carried through to this day, that where I see incredible outcomes, with clients, you know, even those can benefit from the little fine tuning that science can bring. And, and so, you know, like with Rose experiencing those traditional sacraments and, and we have a 501c3 church, Rose mm -hmm. formed it in 19, I think 1997 um, or maybe 1995. Um, right. and so, she, you know, the, in the 501c3 church, like it encompasses all of these, it's specifically the myth, the, the mission of bridging enlightenment traditions of East and West. And, you know, it's really big on uh, lineage, lineages and lineage right. empowerments and right. going to these locations and getting it uh, uh, passed on. And so, um, you know, that that's kind of where we come from. It's like J J Rose has all these decades of experience, um, you know, as a clinician. And then we have the traditional experience and it's in a nonprofit setting. And, you know, I've, I've kind of stepped into her arena and uh you know i'm a part of i'm a part of her 501c3 church as well but um you know that my point was just about psychedelic formulation right. and i right. think it's a nascent thing it's a nascent thing in our culture and there are cultures where it's highly developed and there's different psychedelic formulas for different rituals different times different reasons purposes um yeah. so you know what, what we're doing here is we're seeking to provide the best results for our clients and our clients are happy when they, you know, when they get those results. So it's all based off of that. Like we're, we seek to be that, that bridge of tradition and science. And we seek to, we do deep work of healing, you know, healing transformational journeys. And to do that, we can't accomplish it without something like the stack. I mean, if we, if we don't have the stack, we will, we I, we've seen it. I mean, we've done the work. I've right. been a, I've been a facilitator. Just you know, I consider myself a young facilitator. at just five years next month. Congratulations! But, um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but Rose, you know, she's got a so, lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, and it's like, and then we brought in other people who have done this work for 10, 15 years or more, and um, so we have a, that spectrum of practitioners and clinicians get it. You know, like. If you look at retreat companies and if you talk or try to gather data about what goes on in retreats behind the scenes, like psychedelic journeys with major companies that everyone's heard of, you know, we have a, a facilitator training to train our in-house employees mm -hmm. and it's, you know, uh, it's approved by the OHA in the state of Oregon. Um, and we train our facilitators according to our method and people come to us having already had gone through you know, all the major programs, IPI, um, California Institute, Integral mm -hmm. uh, Studies, you know, mm -hmm. we, we get them on and we, we talk about the stack and people get it. You know, people who have been yeah. doing retreats in Jamaica, it's like there's a high incidence of people having challenging experiences. And I kind of feel like it's, I don't know why, maybe it's just, there's not a lot of exposure, but um, a lot of facilitators, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to... Walk, go through the prep and the journeys and the integration and yeah. to see pe some people getting re really amazing outcomes and then others 
you know, they're having challenging journeys, they're not having great integration, the outcomes aren't as, the therapeutic outcomes aren't as positive, and you're like, it's tiring, and you get a certain type of fatigue from it. It's along, you know, kind of along the lines of compassion fatigue. And so, you know, I think there's a high incidence of, of that with retreat facilitators, and, uh, you know, we can help not only does it the stack help our clients, it helps our facilitators. And so people who are in the ecosystem, you know, other facilitators, they come to it and they're like, this is golden. I mean, <laughs> it, it's a win-win for everybody. And we're really excited about it. We're really, you know, we want to learn it. We want to do it. We want to incorporate it. And and so, you know, in our in our company, the neuro wellness team are the ones who uh, kind of um, administer the neural wellness protocols and we work in conjunction with our um, facilitator facilitators our facilitation team with our retreats with our clients and so you know that I think that's just kind of like my my opinion is I feel like this kind of yeah. stuff gets swept under the rug a little bit you know it's like there there are people you know who aren't you know maybe in a they, they're not prone or they're not in a position where they're gonna have like the same type of um, context, you know, um, the, some people I think are more prone to, to having the, the kind of lesser therapeutic outcomes that I'm talking about, like, you know, this whole two yeah. paths that we're talking about. And it's like, um, yeah, like if you, if someone's given a choice, I think, well, at least we've seen when when these types of clients come to us, like they if we get the chance to speak with them and they get to see what we're about and what we offer, it it makes sense to a lot of people. And and yeah, that's our that's our mission is like we're here to help those who are aligned and resonate with what we do. And yeah, yeah, I think you. I think it's. I've talked to a lot of different people, and and I think that from from what I understand. It, it's imperative to take it, you know, no, no one wants to go to the McDonald's of transformation. You know what I mean? You don't want to go through a drive through window and get this thing. It's like a happy, you know, no one, we don't need that. And I love the fact that you guys are breaking it down on an individual level. And the more that I think about it, incorporating an idea of the individual and what their journey should be is probably a really, really healthy thing. And, you know, incorporating lineages, you know, in, in some ways, like if you look at Georgetown university, you can, if you want to be someone who, you know, works in the world of politics, you're going to go to Georgetown. If you're going to be someone who wants to be a lawyer, you're probably going to go to Harvard, you know, there's different schools and the same with mystery schools or misty initiations, right? Like different types of lineages provide people with different types of transformational journeys, whether you're the Pythagoreans or, you're you're yeah. one of the women who studied under you know Mary Magdalene like I think it's there and I I would I know you won't tell me what the stack is but I'm curious <laughs> over there I'm gonna I'm gonna have to come out there Prima I'm yeah. gonna come and check it out myself I I would okay. love to and I I am fascinated by it and I you know I I push back on people because I care about what it is they're doing and I, I I'm very curious and I I. I hope that you see my questioning in that light. It's something that I'm, I'm curious about, and I, I, I want to know more, and I'm, I'm, I'm enthralled uh, by it. Yeah, uh, I know, I know you do. That's why I did it. You know what I really like 
is the way when you brought up that graph and it was almost a spider web form and you had mentioned, you know, it'd be great if there was like a depth chart on there. Like you're right. And I, when you go back and you look at that thing, did they position those like mysticism, anxiety at the bottom? Was that purposely like anxiety being at the bottom level and that stuff? I being think at the so. Top? Yeah. It seemed that way, right? I think they did do that intentionally. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that, you know, that vertical access, like, yes, that's I, what I'm not sure how to depict it. I thought about it, you know, we want to be able to get another dimension to it so that you can see people going inwards. You know, I feel like mystical state is about a depth of inwardness, right? Okay. So, you know what? So, do you, are you familiar with 3D printing at all? Have you tried yeah. any of that? Okay. So, you know, when you go on your, um, for those that are just listening or for those who are not familiar with 3D printing, when you put the 3D printer in your computer and you're sizing things up, it gives you like a virtual little studio on your computer. And then it gives you like an L model, like an L graph. But then there's another little arm that comes off of it. I think that something like that would be very conducive to yeah. understanding the going into, right? Because you could have that other arm come off. And especially with computers now, now we can have that other dimension. And that would free up the way to measure things because you yeah. would have that other dimension there but yeah i'm, I'm coming up on a hard break from it and I, I feel like you and i have a lot more to discuss my friend and i, I um, really i i yeah i get it we gotta go but um i really think you're onto something there i've been trying to think along those lines and i think you know this the scientific accepted methods um could incorporate that you know johns hopkins and all these different institutes you know i hope that they consider trying to add another dimension to their data sets, um, you know, the way they graphically depict them. So I think that would be the, the future for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk. I know, I know um, uh, Cole Butler, if you're listening, Cole, first off, I love you, buddy. And Cole's doing a lot of things with setting up studies and stuff like that. But I think he would be someone that could really, he's someone that I talk to all the time that I'm just like, God, damn it. Why didn't I think of that? You know what I mean? He's one of those guys, but I think if we all talk together and I'm sure you have doctors and I'm sure you have people on staff that are setting up studies like that, but he's like a research coordinator. And I think that he might be someone that could, that we could bounce ideas off of because John Hopkins is awesome. But what yeah. about Moksha journeys? Why don't you guys come up with the own study? Uh, the first person saying. to put that graph in the model. You know what I mean? And all they, right. They can, yeah. They can come and be like, Hey, how'd you guys figure this out? Like there's, there's, from the ground up is what I say. So anyways, before I let you go, Man. where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? Yeah, I mean, mokshajourneys.com. Um, that, that's, if you're wanting to do this type of work, that's where you would find us. We're on LinkedIn primarily. Um, we're working on getting Instagram going, um, but primarily we're on LinkedIn right now. Um, and and of course our website. And then you know, we, we have the in-house training program, bodhi-academy.com um, for facilitators who want to consider joining our team, which is constantly growing. We're interviewing people all the time, even today and yesterday. <laughs> and so, um, you know, what, whatever angle you're interested in, those are the two primary gateways. Um, and what do we got coming up? I mean, there's going to be a, a, a Moksha Moments Zoom call where you can get on and we'll talk and you can ask questions and engage in conversation kind of like we're doing except there'll be more yeah. people now we're talking <laughs> yeah now we're talking <laughs> and uh, so that I, I you know we'll have to check our linkedin okay. i think it's going to come up at the end of may and then um you know there's we do retreats you know so it's like 
if you want to find us, it's like you'll find us in a retreat. So, you know, you can book a free exploratory call. We can tell you all about our programs. You can ask all the questions you want at no cost. Um, you can book it on the widget on MokshaJourneys.com. Um, and hopefully we'll get Rose on here and you get to yeah. there. Yeah, I'm going to reach out to her. Tell her tell her she better watch out because I'm coming for her. I want her to come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, and also... I just, I, I'm just remembering we have a uh, women's microdose recovery group that's going to start shortly. And that's something that's led by Rose and our other fe female uh, facilitators, our lead facilitator, Sienna, and our new uh, recent facilitator, Rachel. One of, we have other women facilitators yeah. as well, but they're putting together a women's recovery microdose group. And so those details are forthcoming. Um, you know, you can sign up for our email list on mokshajourneys.com and, you know, it's it's in the footer and uh, you can you can get the details if you're interested in a women's recovery microdosing group. And also um, we have, um, we're, we're just starting our next cohort. So if people do want to join the Bodhi Academy, um, the training for uh, psychedelic psychotherapists and any um, organ license facilitator who wants to work on our team, um, you know, that the second cohort is just about to start up. So it's a good time. Um, we will have a third cohort cohort later this year, but the second one's going to kick off. So that's a, if you're interested, uh, you know, let, let us know, drop us a message. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would keep, I would talk to you for another hour if I could, I'm curious what's in the curriculum. Like I know I have all these other questions. Yeah. Yeah. So but I, I, I really, really enjoyed this, Pema, and I, I'm thankful that you shared so much about your childhood. I'm thankful that you've turned on a whole new generation to tool. And um, <laughs> that was an unexpected outcome, <laughs> but a great one, a great one. And I'm, I'm thankful to get to share in your journey a little bit. I feel like I got to, I really got to know you as much as a conversation can in the short time that we did. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And I look forward to future conversations. I hope you have a phenomenal day. Hang on one second. I'm going to hang up with everybody else, but I still want to talk to you for a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, that was so much fun. And I'm so thankful for everybody here spending time with us. Go in the links, check out what they got going on over there. Check out the post. They have some really interesting things. This idea of the stack and the protocols. I think that everyone should be investigating and reach out to Prema, pick his brain, and and he'd love to talk to you. So that's what we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone the world is a crazy place and if you listen to your heart and you take some chances i really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine i've been doing the podcast for about five years last year i decided to take the plunge well circumstances dictated that i took the plunge and i did i've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, 
a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.